What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome to Fireside 5. I am Steve Horney of Integrated Health Sciences, and I would like to welcome to you today, Richard Simeister. How are you, my man? Feel peachy keen, feel great. Feel great, feel great, feel great, feel great. You feel great and you sound great. You have one of the best voices in the game and I look forward to hearing all about it. So I'll tell my story of Richard from my vantage point and then he's gonna fill in some of the gaps. So Richard is a guy that I met about 10 years ago at a course and we just immediately connected. And I think in some ways we probably complement each other well enough that we want to hear what the other person says, but then we have enough in common that we have nice confirmation bias. So it's this nice, like, this is comfortable. We think alike, but then it's also a, I can learn from this person kind of mentality. And for that, we're pretty lucky to have one another. So him and I have known each other. We've nerded out on various topics, professionally, personally. He's got an interesting story. I hope that he tells it. I mean, I've heard from his podcast where he talked about even being a kid. Feel free to share anything that you like, but you have an interesting professional journey, something that I'm very impressed by. And it surprises me none is finding out that you were the first African-American male to graduate from your physical therapy school. Obviously a scholar among scholars, you are the man. But either way, why don't you tell us a little bit, start wherever you like, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Grew up as a nerd, a big science nerd, really. Grew up as a nerd, big science nerd, big into biology, sciences. Went to college as an English major, writing communications. Last year of college, I interned as an athletic trainer, fell in, athletic trainer assistant. Hmm. Totally fell in love, waited about two or three years, got all my prerequisites, went to Simmons College not knowing I was the first black male to get into the pro. I was wondering why all the, all the professors looked at me the first day into the room with my dreadlocks at the time. It's because you're handsome as hell, in my opinion. Well, oh, thank whatever. you very much. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> um, I never looked back. I fell in love with PT, fell in love with putting my hands on clients. Um, same story as most entrepreneur PTs. I worked for many companies, was the manager for a lot of PT companies, but I always felt they were doing it incorrectly. I always mm -hmm. felt that the patient wasn't getting full treatment. I always, I didn't go to school to be rushed through my, my evals and I didn't go through school to be a marketer because every company says you have to go out and speak to a doctor and tell them why we're so good and get the doctors to send us clients. So after about eight, nine years of my career, I was driving with the bike to a, uh, a meeting, another boring PT meeting. And we looked at each other and said, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, a year later, we opened up our own company, did, turned into, again, another mill. I don't like mills. I wasn't enjoying myself anymore. And if I'm not having fun, I'm not going to do it. And so I opened up physical therapy in Brooklyn, 2013, um, having a lot of fun. I love 99.9% .9 of my clients. And I'm <laughs> But yeah, that's that's my 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 boring story. If you want want me to be more specific, you know, I like long walks on the beach. I'm a Gemini. I like old movies. Oh, Gemini! I didn't know I had to watch out for you. That's good to know. Okay, yeah. cool. Tell nuts. us a little bit about your dance and drumming experiences. Drumming since I was 12, 14. Stopped during grad school because you know school. I just got back into it maybe seven years ago, eight years ago, playing um, Afro Cuban. So a lot of congas. 
I was a capoeirista for a while, so I played the berimbau and all the capoeira instruments and um, dancing, 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 dancing. My wife was a professional was a professional dancer. About four years ago, she said, I found this new dance it's called Chicago style stepping. If you're not familiar with it, I will explain. Please and do. It's, it looks like um, salsa to R&B music. It's a couple's dance. It's Terrence, very romantic. So she went <laughs> two months before I did, and I showed up to one of the one of the uh, practices, and she was dancing with a very tall, handsome man. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to join this group because I don't want her dancing. <laughs> and so that was, you know, two, three years ago, and it's been a lot, a lot of fun. It's made me my social anxiety gone. Um, yeah, it's fun. It keeps us dating. It's a really nice romantic date night for my wife and I. That's cool. My wife and I have taken some salsa lessons and things like that. We uh, Brian Park does there every during the summers. They'll do a dance lesson mm -hmm. for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, and then they'll take that lesson and then you can apply it to a band that plays for an hour or two. It's pretty it's awesome if you haven't done it. Yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. Awesome. So let's dive into some of our questions and things that you can elaborate on. I know you have very good reach, um, very depth of clinical experience and information that can help clinicians. But I think it's important to understand that anyone who's listening to this can benefit because if you understand more about the interactions between your physical therapist, then you can help guide the conversations in ways that can help you out even more. Just being an informed consumer with a high health literacy is important. So first, talk to us a little bit about experience plus research plus listening equals positive client outcomes. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, in order for myself, I want the best value for my, for my client. I want them to reach their functional goals or their sports, whatever. And this is sort of, a, um, I guess, a bastardized form of what I heard a few years ago, but the experience, you, you have to pay your dues, you have to pay the pipe, you have to pay someone. I don't care if you're um, very intuitive, if you're a guru, but you have to get out there and treat and mm -hmm. be around people and listen to other clinicians. I, I've met people who graduate and they think they know, they know everything. I didn't know, I was, I was really good as a grad, but I knew there was so much out, I still think I'm a newbie because there's so much out there to learn. Oh yeah, it's like the, the higher you get, the more you see. I thought that I genuinely knew more the day that I graduated from <laughs> school. Like if you would have asked me like, and said, this is the ocean of physical therapy. This is your bucket of what, what a physical therapist can know. I felt like I knew 80% of it because <laughs> I had gotten 80s all along the way and then I passed my licensing exam. So I'm like, okay, I know all. And then you climb up the mountain and you see the vastness and you're, and you're like, oh, I, I don't know. Even the things that I thought that I knew, I don't even know if I know them. And I don't know if I know well enough to understand both sides of them. That's like. Yeah. And the more people you know, the more people you speak with, the more yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that person. I don't know that research. And my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's overwhelming at times. But you have to settle down and remember this is your niche. This is your target audience. If you want to learn more, be very focused and targeted. Don't try to learn everything because yeah. that's a big net. Fair. So then that's the, the experience. Now, how about the research part of it? And I agree with you on the experience. You can't fake reps. No, not like you can't fake reps. I like that. Um, with the research, I'm not talking specifically about evidence-based practice, although it's a, that's a nice theory. Um, 
I, I, there's so much, again, there's so much out there. And if you're not going out there and reading the literature, studying, continuing education, then again, you're just relying on your own knowledge, what you've learned. So you have to see, and I don't, you know, you don't know everything. And Mike Renault, I'm not sure if he, he's a physical therapist in Boston, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. an older knee guy, I really love protocols. And one thing I, I remembered from one of his courses is, you know, for a couple of days, write down everything you do for a client everything and you need to understand you need to validate why you're doing it if you can't validate it why you're doing it you know mm -hmm. if you, i've done this for the whole my whole life i don't care or i know I, yeah this is a great way to learn how to express to your clients what you're doing then why are you doing it so i believe it other people are doing this there are, there are some new trends and new protocols out there yeah. you need to be able to direct differentiate between what's good and what's bad and also comb through your own treatments to make sure you're giving the client the best that makes sense that makes perfect sense and and i i hear you on i was a, so i did not miss a jospt article for i would say i don't think that i missed one until Probably for like the first 12 years of my career, I read every title. If the wow. title was interesting, then I would read the abstract. If the abstract grabbed me, then I would dive into the conclusion and then kind of trace my way back through the methods. And I think that that's how a lot of people consume research. Mm -hmm. I have walked away from it. And I'm not saying that I'll stay away from it, but HSS, Hospital for Special Surgery, does a great current concepts in sports medicine that they do every year. Okay. And I think I'm just going to pay, because I went to that current concepts in sports medicine a few years ago and was kind of disappointed at the lack of new information that was brought to me. Yes. And that was very validating because it meant that it's not like there's 10,000 journal of sports physical therapy um, types of publications out there. There's, there's one really, there's, there's APTA, JOSPT, manual and modern, like manual therapy journal. Um, and maybe like one more, like uh, journal of strength and conditioning or like kind of the four that you got to like be weaving through. And I kind of think that I would rather take that time dedicated to taking courses, like true courses, even if it's just in like yoga. And I don't mean just in, I just mean if it's out of the scope of physical therapy CEUs, something movement-based, I'd rather pay for that and then also pay for someone else to skim through all of those research titles and just tell me the ones that seem the most noteworthy. How do you feel about my approach? I actually agree. I used to, um, as a CSCS, I used to read speed and after a while like you know what that's nice but i want to see it i want to yeah. i want something tactile what you said about someone um, summarizing everything that's out there there are people and there are publications that will summarize all the research so i told it's safe you know we don't have all the time anymore to do that so yeah. try to grab as much as you can you know and i agree and once you learn something and you i'm i'm interested in pilates and yoga do i want to read it or do i want to take a class you know, yeah, exactly. Do I want to read an article about deadlifting or yeah. do I want to go out and coach a ton of people and feel a bunch of different variations myself? And, and probably the, the right balance is being able to do both. But I've been heavy in the research world for a long time. It's time to let me out and play. Let's get out and play. <laughs> so, now, how about less listening? You're a great you're a better listener than I am. 
go for it. T tell me, tell me about listening. That's a skill I'm working on because I tend to a lot of, I tend to cut people off because I want to say what I want to say quickly. And that's a skill. And I, 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 as a therapist, I was guilty of that. When someone comes in, yeah, my knee hurt. I ramped up my running from three miles to five miles. Okay. You overloaded, you know, I'll jump in with the diet and I can't do that. And also a lot of my clients just want to be heard because a lot of doctors or whatever, they don't listen to them. They, okay, really quick, you're in and out. And a lot of therapy, it really is just hearing what they have to say. It's also great for your evaluation. Let them talk. You can lead them, but just excuse my language. Shut the fuck up sometimes. Oh yeah. Totally. And, and let them talk. You'll get most of the information about what you want to do that day. And there, and you also, and we'll get talking, we'll talk about this later on. You'll find out what their motivators are. Yeah. Their triggers negative experiences with with therapy with exercise and that's going to help you lead the evaluation and also set your your, your short-term and long-term goals because you know i got hit with a baseball batter you know i had a trauma on my bike or they used to make fun of me uh, you know when i was on the balance beam so i don't do it anymore. Yeah. so you know so that's why i think yeah and i think for me it's interesting i, I active listening is obviously a skill that a lot of people work on I almost feel like I hyperactively listen, meaning I want you to know that I'm so interested in what you're saying and I get what you're saying so much that I can finish your sentence for you. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. that helps. It can build like that, oh my God, like we're best friends. We totally get each other. But also it can be the detriment because you're not letting the person fully articulate that themselves and giving them the space to take their time to formulate that, especially when it's in a clinician environment, if they're about to say something that has a, a certain like aha or epiphany to it, you want them to say that. That's gonna stick with them longer than if I like jump in, I'm like, it is that you're sitting too long at your desk. But if I'm like, yeah, tell me a little bit about then they're like, oh yeah, you know what? Like maybe my shoulder does hurt a little bit more because I started putting in more hours. Like, that is you leading the person to the river, but letting them drink themselves and experience all of that goodness themselves. So it's much more buy-in because you celebrated their knowledge. You celebrated that they reached the conclusion themselves. Like, and they'll also have a better have a tendency to remember it and also try to impress you next time. You know, oh, I went home and I figured this out. And hey, good job, good job. Not fake, yeah, not fake accolations. Accolations, come uh, accolade, not fake accolades. But, you know, be sincere and say, that's great. I'm glad you figured that out because that's that's a quarter of your problem right there. You know, and, and, and that's the thing is also I, I think if it is that nice back and forth, mm -hmm. they probably have a better test with the Kieran O'Sullivan test, which is this is for any clinicians out there. Anyone, anyone out there who explains anything to anyone ever who's been in a conversation, it's a great test. Something that I'll say to my patients when we're done with the initial evaluation is you're going to go home and you're going to tell someone what happened here today. And that makes me sound like it's so like you tell, tell them what happened here today. It's like, it's like a story. It's a story. You know, it's yeah, like exactly. marketing, promoting it's a story. Steven, my last client turned off the fan on me for some reason. I am here in a very hot room. So I want you to sing for 20 seconds. Oh, I go turn on the fan. Go ahead. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. But anyone. 
It's not unusual to see me cry. I wanna die. All right, we're gonna talk about short-term versus long-term goals. Now, this is something that we learn in you school. Did, you didn't lose anyone, did you? No, that was good. Yes, everyone's <laughs> so, short-term versus long-term goals. Tell us a little bit about that, Richard. What were you taught in school, Stephen, when it comes to setting short-term and long-term goals? Oh my your, God, I, I, I think I was taught to to study for the test for what it was and then i was going to standardize it so that we got reimbursed by the insurance companies and that is exactly the depth that that lives in my mind no more no less range of motion strength uh, totally functional limitations be able to walk 15 stairs in a matter of two weeks and this goes back to listening to the client, and we'll get to an, an intrinsic motivators later. But long-term goals is always a, has to be functional, has to be functional, and mm-hmm. that's not what my my clients are skiers or runners. Or I want to be able to stand for a three-hour lecture. So that is your that should be your focus for your long-term goal, and that's going to equal that's going to equate to a, a positive outcome for your client. Right. So again, talking to your client and the. the so many therapists aren't savvy enough or creative enough to think, well, I'm a, he's a basketball player. How do I get them to that level where they, you know, I was lucky enough to play a lot of sports. I wasn't good at a lot of them, but I played a lot of sports. So I could figure out, and I'm also a CSCS as you are too, a strength and conditioning mm-hmm. specialist. So you can tend to be creative. You, tend, you can be more creative and figure out, you know, you're a climber. Okay, I know what your long-term goal is. I know how to get you there. So I think as far as long-term goals, just be really specific and also talk it over with your clients so you're on the same page. If you're not, you, you, may, you may get lucky, but yeah. it, it's a, it's a crapshoot if you're not talking to your client and saying, this is what I, these are the phases I want to go to, go through. These are my short-term goals for you. And my, you know, my short-term goal is always to protect the client, decrease pain, bring them out. Yeah, the, sure. The yeah, that's, it's almost the Band-Aid is like a little yeah. bit, it's yeah. included in the short-term goals. Yeah. And by the by the time they're discharged, one, you should be able to have all your um, fundamental movements down. I won't go through all of them, but you should um, feel comfortable going back to your life activity, your sports activity. That's how I yeah. feel about long term goals. Yeah. And I feel like a, a lot of times when you really ask the questions, I think people are more afraid of death than they're willing to admit and not aging gracefully the the landing is i think what a lot of people have on their minds and i think that's important to talk to people about and especially there's i mean walter longo at usc he's uh the director of the usc longevity center um there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of good research on longevity the blue zone studies and you can talk about their biases or not i I don't honestly i don't really take a claim on that either way. Uh, Walter Longo, a lot of people are talking about, that's why intermittent fasting and calorie restriction and IGF-1 we're talking about and mTOR we're talking about and all of these different things that are helping people have higher quality and quantity of days on this earth. And I think that's in a lot of people's minds and that may be in a person's long-term goal. And if you didn't listen to them, you might not get to the right place to really find out what's driving their emotions in that moment in response to what's going on. 
and you are sort of breaking ground as Kelly Storette and a lot of top note not therapists if you're not just I guess we have to break the stereotype of what a physical therapist is but you are talking about life fitness I hear you I hear you in your podcast your webinars and you're are recreating the title of a physical therapist because I think you know we do have to <laughs> I already did that you do have to um you have your eight pillars of fitness yeah we have our eight foundations of health yeah and that's super super important because once someone leaves here you know what's going to happen to them do they have the right direction i'm going to go join a gym i'm going to do this well okay i think you need a couple other components that you need to encompass to make your to to make yourself fully healthy fit balanced yeah. whatever you want to call it whatever you want to call it yeah and i think people put put it out there when, when we talk about a foundation of health they kind of are like like oh that's so far away like but i want to do this now and 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 honestly i'm not trying to sound like all like but if you set being healthy as your goal, the path will tend to take you out of the current pain that you're in and yes. put you in a right direction. It's counterintuitive. If you put more of your effort towards long-term health, it tends to make the thing that's right in front of you, which would be more your short-term goal, disappear sometimes. If, as long as you have the right guidance too, some people will have that you know, the carrot and the stick, but they don't know how to get there. Yeah, exactly. That you're giving people the, the right tools to, to reach that higher level of life fitness. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. So now talking about intrinsic motivators and things like that, like tell us and talk us through a little bit of intrinsic and incentive base and things like that. But keeping your clients, this is more for clinicians, but again, it's all relating back to whichever side you're on, keeping your clients' intrinsic motivators and incentives in mind. And kind of then frame it the same way is how can you coach people to help them keep, have their therapist keep those in mind? It comes down to the first part, listening and asking mm -hmm. them and finding out about their sports history, their um, past medical history, and just look what makes you happy, what drives you, you know, what what motivates you, what's your incentive, what makes you get out of bed. I, I talked to you last week, uh, two weeks ago, uh, um, Steve, and I asked you what gets you out of bed or how yeah. are you feeling today? And I did that just because I like speaking to you, but it also tells me what, what keeps you ticking, you know, what yeah. makes you move. And so once you figure that out, and I'm going to speak about this later with the ego, but you know, your your ego, not the um, colloquialist ego, I'm talking about the clinical ego, yourself, your self-identification, it needs to be fed, okay? It needs gratification. And if you don't feed your ego, you know, every now and then, there's nothing to gratify, there's nothing to motivate it. And this is just a theory that I've been, I've been researching. And after a while, you know, there's no gratification. I don't want it to work out. I don't want to eat this because it's not bringing me what I want. I'm going to have a, a Snickers. I'm going to be lazy today. I'm yeah. going to have a couple stouts and just lay down and watch um, Jerry Spring or whatever. Yeah. So it's really important that you check in, not just the beginning, the first day, but every few days, every few weeks, just say, hey, what's going on? How do you feel about that? Things change in clients too. They may figure out, I don't like this, you know, motivator. So you, you find out what it is, you make sure your goals are tied into the motivator and your treatment plans. That's why, again, you have to be creative. You have to be furtive. I'm going to tweak this program. Don't have cookie cutter programs. Have person specific, ego specific programs. Mm. That's what I'm talking about as far as 
I like that. I like that a lot. And, and I'll say that I feel like through, from everything you ask about kind of like what's your ethos, you know, like that, that's a, a really good question. And I think that right now, anyone listening to the future right now, we're, we're in month six maybe of uh, COVID-19 in New York City. And I think that that's knocked a lot of people off their center and also paradoxically has centered a lot of people. I think people are realizing what really drives them, what they hate about their job, what they love about their job. Because when everything else is kind of removed, there's not a lot of distractions. You're not running out and going to grab some food or not meeting up with your friends as much. Like it's kind of you and your profession. Um, and then whoever you're, my, my wife, AKA my roommate, um, it's really just that that's going on right now. And that's where I think a lot of people are seeing shifts right now, big time professionally, because I think that they're seeing like what gets you out of bed and realizing like this doesn't get me out of bed. And that's where you're seeing the, the movement. During this time, I, I, I called it a, a, an unpaid sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> I, there was a lot of um, meditation, a lot of yeah. insight, a lot of pain going mm -hmm. through stuff. But what did you figure out about yourself yeah. during the pandemic? What did I figure out about myself? Yeah, whether it's motivated. Yeah, no, I love, I think yoga is amazing. I love reading strength and conditioning books and being able to wake up, read a little bit, then move a little bit, then meditate a little bit, and then have something healthy to eat is a hell of a way to start your day. Yes, man. Like you've already won. Like yeah. it's already gravy. How about you? Just my last client, and she said she got up, she meditated, she had her herbs, she did her, she did her yoga, and once she do that, I'm the same way. If I don't do my stuff in the morning, if I don't my yeah. ego, and do stuff for self first, not being selfish, but actually, yes, being selfish. You should be selfish. It's not a bad word. If I don't do that, the rest of the day, someone I get calls. I have to do something for someone else because. Mm -hmm. I haven't taken care of myself, things I need for myself, things I need to do for myself. Yeah, everyone has needs. I don't know why we pretend like we don't. It's just, and most of the time when, again, we're not saying like everyone has needs, like you need a Ferrari or you need to get the, that gold diamonds. Like we're talking needs, like emotional and physical needs. And if you check off those boxes, a lot of the, uh, if your focus is in the right direction, about the way that you're attending to analyzing your needs and then feeding your needs without guilt. Exactly. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good way to be. It, and it's not like our needs, if you've cleared everything else off are, I don't, I don't believe, and maybe I'm just speaking for me and maybe I just had good parents, like whatever it is and great influences, but I don't feel like I need a lot but the things that I do need, I very much need. And in a weird way, this whole pandemic for, and again, so I like, I think sometimes we, we lose sight that 140 plus thousand people have died in the United States and many more globally. Like I would never, whenever I say that the pandemic is affecting me, I hope that it always comes across that I know how much it's affecting other people and I am very insulated from it. 
But with that being said, it, it, it does it make it a little bit easier to fill your needs because there is a little bit more time. Even if your commute is dropped out and you shift that time, that may be a time where you can scratch some of your itches a little bit better. I don't mind the time off. Yeah. I miss my clients. I didn't mind. Thoughts. Um, yeah, man. Um, I don't know what else to say. It just, I, yeah, I like the time off. It just, I yeah, no. And I think a lot of us in the health world are realizing that we were pretty burnt out. Yeah. So yeah. it would have been nice if there wasn't this massive chaos element to it too, but the actual removal from the clinic and almost attending to the wounds of burnout. I think a, a lot of healthcare practitioners have, have been, uh, have been have some benefit that aren't in the ERs and aren't in the hospitals and things like that. Moving on to our next question. So scaffolding your treatment progression. Okay. Um, someone comes in. Yep. Realize that they're not good at a certain task, whether it's kicking, swinging, doing a plank, um, body mechanics, a squat. Mm -hmm. You know, again, you find out why you can, you have to find out was there some sort of trauma? Did they not learn this? Why is there some sort of restriction? But don't make them feel bad. Obviously, you wouldn't. Don't yell at them. Oh, yeah. And again, cookie cutter exercises don't work or programs. Find out why. You know, you can't squat. Let's have you squat in the ground first. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It's okay. Just put your feet up on the wall and squat. Yeah. Things in biteable chunks or digestible chunks. Don't make it too easy. I'm not trying to baby someone, but give them something. Oh, yeah and achieve and definitely celebrate the mile, celebrate the victories, celebrate the small milestones. So they say, okay, I did this. So they can get to the next spot, the next level, the next level without giving them too much. If you overwhelm them, it's too much for them. They feel shame. They feel um, regret. They like, they feel guilty. They can't do this. They feel bad. Don't yeah. make your clients feel bad. Make them feel, make bring positive thoughts into their life, be positive around them and give them things that they can achieve. Not too easy and tell them, why this is important you're able to stand on one leg for 10 seconds no that's good because you couldn't do two seconds two weeks ago this is great and this is right. going to this is going to um uh tie into your walking or your jumping or your 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 aversion on stairs yeah that's what scaffolding that's why i love scaffolding i like that a lot i think i think that it lends to the philosophy of find out what the person does the hardest thing that a person does well is mm -hmm. it a nice way to build work capacity? Um, I heard that first from Craig Liebson. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's just the person that brought it to me or if he's the person who said it originally, but I kind of almost take the opposite side as well. And I think it makes for a nice pairing is find out the easiest thing that they do terribly. That's a great thing as well. This works on your capacity because we all know, even just from pain science, if you can get them doing more work, then they're going to feel better. Their brain is going to feel better. You're going to build up that work capacity. But finding the easiest thing that they do terrible, I can still remember this guy was in for his right hip and it was really bothering him. And I took him outside and I was doing carries. We were going around the block. And he was on his right arm and he was fine. Right hip, right arm, whatever. Switched it over to his left and it, it, he could walk maybe seven steps. And it was the perfect moment of like, you don't think that your brain knows that there's something wrong through here and therefore it's shutting down horsepower and it feels uncomfortable. And to kind of touch on the nervous system, and this is a good time to bring it up, but your nervous system is really 
sensitive. It's not very specific, meaning it's very sensitive. It knows that something from your shoulders to your hips and everything in between isn't right, but it's not very good at telling you exactly where it feels uncomfortable. And if your nervous system is uncomfortable, it will only give you limited power. If your nervous system's feeling 20% uncomfortable, you're only gonna get 80% power. If it's feeling 40% uncomfortable, you're only gonna get 60% power. So finding whatever that is that's making your nervous system feel the most uncomfortable, it could be a stiff big toe, it could be a painful left knee, it could be a right shoulder that doesn't seem to stabilize all that well. Whatever is making your nervous system feel the most uncomfortable is the fastest way to raise the tide on all of your other muscle groups. And I think that that factors in, if you take that as kind of the overarching topic, find the easiest thing that they do really poorly and find the hardest thing that they really do well. It's a nice little trifecta right there. How do you feel about that? I am in total agreement. There are many times I have to fundamental movements, rolling, crawling, high kneeling, I have all my clients go through, if I see some sort of dis- movement dysfunction, let's, let's take it back. Let's get away from the functional movements. Yeah. Let's, and they're like, why? That's a, okay, let me see your roll. A lot of my high level club athletes can't roll or they can't roll with their arms and feet off the ground. Or when I'm healing and they have them do a halo, their back goes to the lordotic posture, yeah. their head goes all over the place. So I do believe, and this is again, scaffolding, this is bringing it down. Yeah capacity is what you said looking at their worst movement and trying to find okay let's start here you don't do that well but you will do that well in a week i'm confident and so i do believe i like what you said finding out what they do poorly yeah not to make them feel bad but it's definitely an aha moment for both of us especially when it's that bad and you're like are you are you even trying right now is that even like i'm not making fun of you i'm terrible at tons of stuff but like that's really how that's going down for you right now. And they're like, Oh my God. Like, and I'm like, and then my favorite line is always like, I wouldn't give you a test that I didn't at least know the answers to. So we'll get you out of it. It's fine. I'm not going to test on them and be like, well, I have no idea now what to do. Like everything's an assessment. We assess, we address, we assess, we address, we assess, we address, we move along. So, as far as emotional blocks, and you touched on this, and I was excited. This was the one that I was most excited to, to talk to you about of all of them. But emotional blocks, talk about ego, depletion, performance anxiety, and shame, and in any order that you like. Ego depletion, there are two theories. There's an old theory and a new theory. The one is the willpower theory, meaning that you have a certain amount of willpower for the day. So um, if I had blood tests two months ago, and my doctor says, no wheat, no dairy, no alcohol for a month. Uh-huh. Okay. So the first couple of days I was okay. And the first week, because I felt so good, because I felt a change, that was my intrinsic motivator. Mm. My willpower was it's easier for me to choose foods because I was feeling so good. Yeah. Let me go back. If you have to make choices all day long, I have to have this food, drink this much water, and your willpower may be drained. And that's why at the end of the day, that's when most people cheat. It's not the beginning. It's the end of the day because their willpower has has, has been sucked up, so they have no more um, regulatory mechanisms. The yeah. newer theories goes back to the ego. If your ego is not being satisfied, it's not gratification. You know, you're not feeding your ego. At the end of the day, 
It's saying, you know, F this. I didn't get what I wanted. Yeah. You know, I've been training this long. I can't, my high jump is better. better. F this. I'm going to have some Doritos. I'm not going to bench press. I'm going to do something else that's not beneficial for me because this is going to this is a substitution for my ego mm-hmm. trying to achieve for. So again, with my blood test, because I was seeing such positive results right away, my ego was being fed because I could see physical changes. I had um, uh, my poop was good. That's what people call the poop. Yes. Breathing was better. I was sleeping better. So my motivators was there, were, were there. And so my ego was fed. My self was fed. My uh, I could make my my regulatory system was better. It was easier for me to make the right decisions day by day. That's ego depletion. Ego depletion yeah. is your ego just gets tired of the same bullshit and say, you know what? I'm not feeling feeling fulfilled. I need to find something that's gonna fill up my ego gut. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I I, I can relate to what you're saying. And and so you took a lot of things out at once. Mm-hmm. Now. How are are a are you kind of just like you know what I don't need any of those I feel so good it doesn't make a difference or are you of the removal and then reintroduction track to see which one of those four things was really screwing you up was it the alcohol was it the meat was it the dairy was it the whatever and I'm not pushing you in any direction I'm just curious how your mind wraps around that usually I, I i do maybe three changes at one, at one time or one change two changes and i do it for three weeks if things don't change after three weeks i make a slight tweak Ah, okay the reason i made a major change is i saw a doctor and she said you know you have this i had um i can't um candida the um, um yeast infection in the stomach yeah, sure uh she thought i had a gluten intolerance i was lacking vitamin a vitamin all these things so she said listen i want you to be I want you to do everything at once, just to make sure. Not just one yeah. thing. That's just her their protocol. Yeah. Usually I don't, but I wasn't feeling good from the last last year or so. It's just my gut felt bad. Yeah, sure. Felt bloated after I I ate. I never felt good. I always felt like I had a something puffing my belly. That's why I went full throttle, and I did everything she recommended. And it was yeah. a good. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, you twenty things I wouldn't recommend that to anyone, even when I prescribe something. Here are the three basic things I want you to do at home. Do those for a week and come back. Don't overwhelm the system. Don't overwhelm the client. Don't overwhelm the brand. So keep it simple. Try it for a couple of weeks and do minor tweaks or changes. Yeah, I I think that it's interesting because I know that depending on the person who's laying on the table in front of me, I will take a very different approach. And my hunch is that you do it automatically as well. But... I can recognize when a person is a rip the bandaid off person and they want five exercises on the first day and they're going to do them every day. And then that's it. And then there's the people that you can tell that like need to take the shower and like like break out the baby oil and they're like gently kind of taking off this bandaid. And that's a real archetype patient as well. And I I think that it's important to uh, for us to at least acknowledge and then therefore tailor in our approach, the Band-Aid ripper offers and the people who like the slow, slow, slow pull away because they're only going to get one exercise and maybe one YouTube video sent to them. Does that make I, sense? How did you learn that? Is that from experience or did you have a natural intuition when you went speaking to people when having a conversation or just the energy off of someone or body mechanics? How did you? Yeah, you know, it was purely when we started teaching and I had to genuinely make an algorithm 
out of what I do. Like it's so easy to just do things. And then once you have students, you start to think about why you do them. And then once you start teaching, yes. you get asked questions and you need to like take this, the, the whole tree of your mind and put it onto PowerPoint slides and deliver it to someone in two eight hour days. And that's actually where that came from was realizing that that's something I was automatically doing was fitting people to what they're like, what's the most likely thing that they're going to do is something that you need to talk to them about. Cause they know whether they're going to like buy blue blocking glasses, buy a cooling thing, or they're going to go to airplane mode at 10 PM. Like they know, you are just like, these are the best ones. And then they're kind of like, no chance, no chance. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. And all of that has led me to, 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 because of teaching, just to try and put all of that into uh, a system. So, yeah, that's blue blockers. it. <laughs> blue blockers. Blue blockers. Do they still make blue blockers? I remember blue blockers. Oh, yeah, these blue blockers are okay. With me. <laughs> I'm like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah, these blue blockers are okay with me. Yeah, I don't know if they still make blue blockers. Those amazing, amazing, like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> they were more. Get the second and half. Um, but I get literally blue light blocking glasses that I will wear. Um, they're actually made for construction, but I went on Consumer Reports because as you're going to sleep, if you have blue light entering your eyes, it's going to tell your body to not release the melatonin. So therefore, I wear like these are actually Warby Parkers. These are 70% blue blocking, but then I put on top of these uh, almost almost 100% blue blocking glasses as per Consumer Reports. They're the ones who tested like all the ones that were out there. I didn't yeah. know that about melatonin. I sleep. Didn't know that about melatonin. All about sleep. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, and you touched on this before. You said social anxiety when you're talking about dancing and how that shifted. But talk to me about performance anxiety. Well, it's tied to shame, and I'll try to keep this short. I wrote a blog on this, did a little podcast. I was one of the few black kids in my town where my parents moved from the city to a little suburb called Oldbrook. And... Um, well, and a uh, baseball team. One example, my baseball team was all white. Most of the teams were all white. Okay. And I wasn't treated too well by not just the players, but also the coaches. One example is when the- On bottle, your own team. On my own team. So when the bottle bottle came Sorry, around, yeah. you know, everyone would drink out of it. When it came to me, I'd drink and the next person would wipe it off, scrub it down because, you know. So I never, my father was from Jamaica. He was a, a fish in the water. He was a goat climbing. And he just loved to bite, but American sports, it, he wasn't that type of person. Yeah, sure. so I learned that from him, not blaming him, but I also didn't learn it from my peers because my peers weren't my friends. They were kind of nasty. Yeah, so when sure. it comes to baseball, bat, I was terrible. So I was very confident that once I stood up, went to the plate, I was going to strike out. I actually had so much performance anxiety that I just, while I was in the batter's box, even when I was on the, in the, um, in the dugout and my my turn was coming up, I would get sick oh. because I was teased. So I developed shame around baseball. So when it went even high school, college, when I had to swing, I had, you know, even though my friends were around me, I would think that's how I developed a lot of performance and anxiety around swinging and hitting things. 
of the sports I excelled. Oh, interesting. Sports, and I got over that with, you know, with excelling in other sports, baseball, and you know, it was just it was really, 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 really tough. So there was shame around my uh, what I couldn't do, and that led to performance anxiety. That's really interesting. As as so that. What do you think if you didn't have those experiences, as you said, as feeling not only the absence of support, but also the negative feelings coming from your teammates and from your coaches, what do you think you would have looked like as an athlete? I, I, well, it, you know, it depends on my genetics. Was I, was, I, was I meant to play baseball? Who knows? But I think I would have learned more. I would have practiced a skill because I don't like yeah. I'm embarrassed about something. I'm not going to practice it anymore. I'm not going to practice unless you know I go in my basement. I'm going to show them. I'm going to. Re- I didn't. I was. Yeah. In general. So just I just got go bad. Away from it. Yeah. I never excelled. I think if I had a coach who said, "Listen, you know, you need to you need to choke up in the back. You need to and, and watch my team and say, Richard, I'll take you side and show you how to hit the ball or throw better." I think I would have been better. Would I have had? Would I have excelled? I I don't know. But I think I would have appreciated the game more. I don't. Even, I didn't even like baseball for a long time yeah. because I just it reminded me. When I watch baseball, I'm like I don't watch it. But I like mixed martial arts because I love to fight people. And you didn't get any. Now, were there eyes watching you in your mixed martial arts? And was uh, yeah. there like a competitive nature to it? Um. Yeah, but I was an, I was a natural at it because I. Yeah. And you were a wrestler. I always wanted to ask you about your wrestling. I wish. I wish. I wish. I took up wrestling because I, I, I understand leverage and biomechanics and yeah. tone. So I was really good at um, hand-to-hand combat and throwing mm-hmm. people, jujitsu. Yeah. Um, you know, so I didn't have any social uh, social. Yeah, Same you would have been, you would have been a great wrestler. Sorry, cut out for a second, but you would have been a great wrestler, knowing everything about your capoeira and everything like that. Like, ah. Oh. Choke him out. Choke him out. Yeah. Well, well the, the interesting thing is like performance anxiety in sports. I was always, I think I can say there's a great confidence. Like I am an 83% at pretty much everything. No higher, <laughs> no lower. I'm just like a straight 83. It's you fine. It's like a fine. It's good. I think it's like good or a little bit less than good. Like that's, it's fine. I, like sure. I remember at one year in mathematics in, um, in high school, three out of four semesters, I got an 83. Like that was my grade. And I was just like, I am so consistently good. And that's how I was with wrestling. That's how I was with football. That's how I was with lacrosse. I was a little bit better at rugby, but, and I've kind of never really shared this, but I used to fantasize about when we were on the bus and we were going to the wrestling matches and to the football games and to the lacrosse games to an extent, but there weren't as many like people in the stands or in the crowds. Mm-hmm. But I used to fantasize about there being like a car accident in front of us and we wouldn't be able to get there so that I wouldn't have to play. And it was, I can remember it. I, when I say like, I mean, I think that happened every single wrestling match and every single football game in my entire high school career. And I don't totally know what, because it's not like I was like particularly bad. I was always hard on myself, but like I had such 
performance anxiety when it came to sports, but I always did them and I always enjoyed when they were done. And it's, but it's just interesting to reflect on your life. I can, that fantasy of the car accident and we wouldn't be able to get there was, I would say every single away sporting event, except for maybe lacrosse. Cause it was like, so not serious, but maybe I'm just looking through blue blocking rose colored glasses, <laughs> all sports. But You're not yeah, alone, man. I wanted to share that with you because I You're feel like you judge me for that. There are a lot of famous apps. Janet Jackson, she she told people always nervous, so she has to pass gas or fart before she performs. And you, there are football players who have to throw up or do yeah. something, you know. So don't worry about it. just it's just you. Yeah, I guess I I guess I guess so. So the last one is shame. Talk, talk to us about that. I think you touched on it already, but is there anything else you want to fill in with regards to shame? Uh, it's, it's, it's almost like um, I don't want to compare myself to someone with uh, emotional trauma or post-traumatic stress disorders, but if something happens to you as a child, you know, they're called um, nuclear episodes that they happen during a certain um, time of your life, they stick with you. They yeah. stick with you. They stick with you. And if you got ridiculed or... You know, someone calls you an N during a day. Uh, I've got called an N in class and the teacher didn't say anything or someone would make a really derogatory statement towards me. All this white and it's I'm sorry. First day of class. First day of classes in grade school. I walk in. The teacher puts her hand in my hair. So it's rubbing my afro and a white oh, yeah. kid stands up. Goes, Ugh. I'm sorry to say Ugh, a nigger. And she didn't say anything. And that was my first experience in my new town and my new school. Don't think that didn't stick with me. Because no, like it's, it's hard no, enough to be a new kid, and then you no, have that like yeah, the yeah. worst. So that's I was I, I had fear because my teachers, the people who were supposed to protect me, didn't protect me, and then I started developing shame because oh, I don't like my skin. I want to be like them because I'm ugly and people are making fun of me, so it must be me. So I had shame for a while around my own skin. I had to really get comfortable. It took me a long time to love who I was, love my ancestry, love my day, love my my culture. Yeah. So that I had a lot of shame around myself as an individual. And that pulled a tied into my performance, tied into my relationships, tied into being comfortable around people that look like my detriment to performance, to moving, to breathing, to living. Wow. Now okay Clearly, right now, so I'm going to take two sides of this right now. Um, clearly, right now, and I, I hate to say it, but it's like every time that I see on the news where it's like day 63 of protests since George Floyd, I'm like day 63, like 500 years, like the 1500s is when this started. That if you're going to count days, you got to start all the way back there. So my, then I'm going to tell kind of the other side is like, is I think that I am more sensitive to the, an ally putting it back on the person that they're trying to be an ally with saying like, just tell me what I should do and I'll do it. Because if someone's really in a time of, where you can help them, don't make it any harder on them. And I'll kind of, I'm going to take it from a, a different, an interesting vantage point, but like one of my best friend's wives died. And 
after the fact, it was probably two weeks after, and him and I were on the phone, we were just catching up, and something happened with, with someone else that he was talking to. He was like, Steve, can I just tell you one thing that I've learned through all of this? And it was something that never crossed my mind. He said, I will never say to someone, hey, just let me know if you need something. You know what you need to do. You know what your relationship is at. Just do it. Like they're in a tough, tough time. They are in a tough time right now. Do not add to their burden of the tough time by then making them have to tell you what to do. And that's always stuck with me and like kind of expanded to other realms. And that's somewhat how I'm looking at, at being the best version of myself for my thoughts and beliefs during this time. And so for me, I think that it's really important. And these are stupid, like little things, but it would never cross my mind that someone might feel uncomfortable when they walk into a room, but it is not totally a guarantee depending on how that person feels in relation to the other people in the room. I think I was raised to be hyper friendly in general. Like I love human connection. Yes, you and do. Like, almost like seeing someone smile makes me like super happy. But I think to. now I do try and like almost look from the other side and almost be scanning the room. Like, is there any chance that anyone right now maybe isn't feeling so included? That's not that I wouldn't want to talk to that person in general, but like maybe that's where the efforts are. Um, another thing is like, listen, I love surfing um, and I love surfing in the Rockaways. And there are a lot of kids in the Rockaways who do not have surfboards. Like a surfboard is not something that you just, you can go down to the pharmacy and pick up real easily. So my hope is, and like, I'm real excited. There's gonna be another paddle out. And I think I already got one of my patients to donate a bunch of boards, but like, is that's a, a, a cause that really I feel like I can get behind. And then another thing is like having the difficult conversations with my friends where we disagree and approaching it in the right way. Those are just kind of like the three things that like off the top of my head, I feel like are, are perhaps part of the solution. Um, I would, I'm, again, I'm not asking you like, tell me what to do or like, how can, how can people be better? <laughs> I just shared with you a bunch of things. Can you be my editor on those? Is that an okay balance with this? That's, that's a, that's a lot. And that's a heavy Sorry. question. And it, it, what's funny is I have to, I have a lot of um, my white friends coming up to me, even white clients. And a lot of it's white guilt. And I don't mean this in a derogatory way, no, but not like, at all. what do I do? My ancestors did this. Well, my father feels this, he's a racist, what do I do? And the first thing is I, I, I look at them and I feel their energies, what's your intention? If your intentions are good, no matter who you are, I'm gonna give you the best guides. I can't tell you what to do, Steve, unless I you know, I talk to you and find out what your, I guess, yeah. go back to the word capacity is right. what you're willing to do. Understood. But if you have love in your heart and you have good intention and you're not just doing this out of guilt or shame, you know, I'm gonna yeah. give you the best advice. See, there's certain things, the first thing I tell people who are, who are not of color is go educate your other people not of, go educate other white folks you know yeah. take the knowledge that i give you or that you learn from and go to teach one person change their perspective change their paradigm change their mind you know don't try to change the world if you want to protest go ahead but talk to your mom or your best friend and tell them and try to change their mind so they're on the right path 
That, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect I, sense. I and can't that's teach you. It's not my job to teach you or teach this person. I have to teach my own culture the right way, and it's, and you know I don't have the time or even the patience right now to, tech, to talk to every non-black person. You know what? I know you feel bad, and you should do this. You should, I, I can't. All I can say is know what's right and go teach the other. If you want to have, if you want to ask me questions, go ahead. But I'm not going to sit here and let you tell you what to do as a good white person. Thank, thank you, thank, sure. thank you so much, and, sure. and just thank you, thank you, thank you. I know so, you have a good heart. I know you. I've known you for a while. You, you have a very good heart. You have good spirit. You have good energy. I know you have good intentions. So I wouldn't worry about you. I take you under my wing. No, <laughs> it, it, in ways, whether you've ever known it or not, you probably have. Like, and that's the, whether you think you've ever said anything direct or not. You're a part of my story, and I like. I, I like I like the story that you and I have written together, and so it's just like yeah, thanks. I love you. It's great. So now a few we went in a lot of different directions. Start to think about a few closing words, and I'm going to open us up for some Q and A right now. Okay. So while they're doing that, can you just tell people where to find you? You can find me at moveevolution.com. That's M O V E B O L U T I O N. Uh, my podcast is Move Evolution, Heal, Move, Evolve. My name is Richard Sinister. Um, yeah, what else do you want to know? How to find me? You can send it. No, that's awesome. Me. And did you interview anybody like recently who's like 83% handsome and like you had a good chat about VO2 max and like aerobic oh, stress? Everything. Oh, yeah, Steve Horny. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody <laughs> likes what they heard today, Go check that out too. I think you'll really like it. It's on Spotify. I think it's like episode number 14 or something like that. Somewhere on it. It's on Spotify and um, iTunes. It's on episode number 15. It's up now. I'm still editing the show notes, but I'm not saying this to push up on you, give you props. Feel free. I learned a, a hell of a lot. Of, I got a lot of information out of that podcast. I had my questions ready for you. We went up the first 20 minutes, half an hour, I was asking about you, your Buddhist like philosophy being human, how you feel about other people. And it, I didn't plan that, but that's why it was such a good podcast. The last half, we talked about the main topic and it was really informative. I think if anyone wants to learn about fitness, how to go about it, the first three steps, check out the podcast with Stephen and myself. Thanks, man. You are an excellent interview. So give us your closing thoughts, if you don't mind. From a physical therapist's point of view or from the, the client's point of view? From a you point of view, it's you. When you speak to your clients for the first time or every time, listen. Do a little psychology testing. Know what they love to do, what they don't love to do. Figure out. You have to know both, the motivators and the triggers, and build a, build, use that for their, their, their long-term goals. Use that when formulating the long-term goals or else or else you're not going to be on the same page. Even if they verbalize, well, oh, I want to be able to run. What else do you want to do? Or what, what, you know, ask them a lot of questions because they may have other stuff. Peel, peel the onion, peel the onion, get yeah. deeper into their spirit, into their energy, and also what they really want and why they can't get there or what they're afraid of. That was not really a summary, but, and, but that's my, that's my, that's my. No, that's your, your closing thoughts. That's awesome. Well, Richard, I want to thank you for being on. I want to thank you for being you. I want to thank you for being wise and taking the time to share that wisdom with us. We hope that everyone out there has a great rest of their day. And I hope everyone enjoys our movement 
towards movement. Right on, man. Thank you so much for that. I had a blast. Cool, man. Likewise, man. This was fantastic. Thank you all for coming out. We'll see you soon. Peace.